Welcome to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. My name's Tammy Simon. I'm the founder of Sounds True, and I'd love to take a moment to introduce you to the new Sounds True Foundation. The Sounds True Foundation is dedicated to creating a wiser and kinder world by making transformational education widely available. We want everyone to have access to transformational tools such as mindfulness, emotional awareness, and self-compassion, regardless of financial, social, or physical challenges. The Sounds True Foundation is a nonprofit dedicated to providing these transformational tools to communities in need, including at-risk youth, prisoners, veterans, and those in developing countries. If you'd like to learn more or feel inspired to become a supporter, please visit SoundsTrueFoundation.org. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Diana Spaulding. Diana is a certified nurse midwife, pediatric nurse, and mother of three young children. She has a master's degree from NYU in midwifery and has worked as a nursing school professor at Cedar Crest College, as well as a midwifery school advisor at Georgetown University. She's the digital education editor at Motherly and the founder and instructor of Gathered Birth, a motherhood wellness center in Pennsylvania. With Sounds True, Diana Spaulding is the author of the new book, A Motherly Guide to Becoming Mama, redefining the pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey. Sometimes, in my own experience, I'm not aware of how a group of people have been trespassed upon, dishonored, not held up, revered, and supported until somebody pulls off the cover and points it out really super clearly. When it comes to mothers in our world today, Diana Spaulding has a gift for doing just that and showing us a path to what it would mean to honor, nurture, and revere mothers in a new way, the way they actually really need it. Here's my conversation with someone who is a very articulate revolutionary, Diana Spaulding. You created, Diana, a very powerful 2020 TED Talk called What If We Nurtured Moms? And in this TED Talk, you made several strong statements, including this statement. We are asking mothers to nurture in a society that doesn't nurture them back. And maybe it's obvious to you all the ways that we don't nurture moms, that our society doesn't nurture moms. But uh, quite honestly to you, it wasn't apparent to me until I listened to your TED Talk and really started reflecting on it. So I'd love you to start our conversation there. How is it that we are asking mothers to nurture in a society that doesn't nurture them back? Absolutely. Um, And thank you so much, because I think it's just such an important topic to continue uh, to talk about. So I appreciate the opportunity. you know, we, there are a number of, I guess I would say, societal flaws uh, when it comes to how we take care of or don't take care of 
mothers, um, you know, specifically in the United States. Um, everything from our lack of paid parental leave um, at a national level. Um, most recently that I checked, it was about only 17% of mothers had access to a paid parental leave, um, which means that people are either going unpaid or are sort of forced to go back to work sooner than perhaps they are physically, emotionally, mentally ready to do so. Um, and that, you know, takes a, a strong toll on, on mothers and on families. Um, there's also, you know, this sort of prevailing idea in our society that, um, that we need to sort of bounce back, you know, this like, okay, the baby's here, time to get back to life as normal. Um, when really it's, it's so far from that. Um, there are so many cultures around the world where, um, you know, mothers are cocooned in, um, in this sort of period of time where their only real jobs are to take care of themselves and to take care of the babies. Um, and here, you know, we start pressuring people to lose the baby weight and to get back to, you know, exercising and, you know, all of that. Really, um, you're healing from birth or, you know, recovering from the adoption journey, which is, you know, is significant as well. Um, so I think that that takes a real toll. And then, you know, there's just these sort of subconscious messages that we grow up around and we don't really even notice that they become part of our sort of tapestry of beliefs. This idea that, you know, once you become a mother, that's it that's your identity and your child's happiness and, you know, every waking moment and future success is all that you should really be thinking about. Um, and there's not a lot of acknowledgement that you are still a person and you are still a very important person and you can have an existence, a personhood outside of your baby. Um, and so a lot of, you know, moms feel this immense guilt anytime that they do something that's for themselves, you know, oh gosh, oh, I'm, oh, I took a shower and I was in there for half an hour. What's going to happen to my baby? Um, as opposed to sort of laying this foundation of, um, yeah, you should, take a shower and you should stay in there for an hour if you want to, and you should take care of yourself. Um, so, you know, those are just a, a few of the ways, you know, then we look at the healthcare system and we look at um, the rates of maternal morbidity and mortality um, and how it's increasing in the United States, uh, particularly for black women. And, you know, as I shared in, in the TEDx talk that you're referring to, um, you know, I feel that if mothers were really valued in our society, that that would not be the case, that, you know, the numbers would not be rising. We would be working harder to fix those problems. So those are, those are a few, <laughs> a few of the foundational issues. You know, as I'm listening I can imagine a new mom who says, you know, some of the things you just named feel under my direct control. Like it's under my direct control, how I relate to my body image after I give birth to a child. And it's somewhat under my control too. If I take a long shower or I don't take a long shower, or if I say to my friends, look, I don't want to just talk about 
my child. I also want to talk about, you know, my interests. But a lot of the things you named feel outside of someone's control. So what would you say yes. to people who are like, God, I don't know what to do about those things that feel outside my control? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really true. And it's interesting because, you know, I talk a lot about this concept of mom burnout um, and a lot of the uh, feedback that I get is kind of this like, well, moms should do a better job taking care of themselves. You know, moms should it sort of putting the onus of self-care on mothers. Um, and I think that that, you know, could we all do a better job of taking care of ourselves? Absolutely. Can I say no to volunteering for the PTA and the thing? And absolutely. And when we are rushed through a maternity leave or whatever, um, you know, again, it takes a serious toll. So I think that one of the things, even though this is all fairly discouraging, one of the things that I actually feel optimistic about is that I feel like we are talking about these issues much more than we ever did. I feel like people are starting to draw attention to them and say, hey, wait a second, other countries are doing way better than we are. Um, and politicians are starting to talk about it as they campaign. And, you know, so I, I do think that it will get better. I do feel optimistic. Um, but I think that we have to continue to have these conversations. Um, and part of it is, sort of dropping dropping our guard a little bit. Um, and, you know, I'm a big Brene Brown fan and, you know, being vulnerable with each other and saying, hey, today was really hard and here's why. Because when we are able to connect with other mothers and other parents and other people in general about those issues, um, it's it's the start. It's the start to recognizing what's wrong. And once we do that, we can start to fix it. I know that you fighting for mothers, you say in the TEDx talk, I'll go to my grave fighting for mothers, that this is your mission. This is it your is. mandate. I'll go to my grave fighting for mothers. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about how this became the torch you knew was yours to carry in the world? Yes. I am the daughter of a midwife. Um, and growing up, I loved birth and loved pregnancy, but it was always her thing. So I, you know, I was like, well, that's what she does. That's not for me. I'm going to do something else. And, you know, dot, dot, dot. 27 years later, I graduated from midwifery school <laughs> um, and was, um, so first I was a pediatric nurse and I found honestly in that role that the most rewarding part was working with the mothers, certainly working with the children was important, but helping the mothers that were scared and, you know, feeling like they didn't have answers and all of that felt really great. And then I went to become a midwife and felt that connecting with mothers on a deeper level than sort of just what was happening with their bodies. Um, I was sort of blown away by, by that experience. Um, and I became a midwife before becoming a mother myself. So I found that really surprising. Um, you know, and even in the, the medical system where I worked, you know, I had like 15 minutes per patient, you know, so it was like, is the baby okay? Here's what test you need. See you in a month. And really, I started to feel um, I started to feel really sad that you know women had tons of questions and concerns about pregnancy and birth and their living situations and you name it, um, and I didn't have an opportunity to address it. 
So then when I became a mother myself, um, and I just sort of had all of these, as I say with my kids, like big feelings <laughs> about motherhood. And so I just started writing. I just started writing them down. Um, and I wrote them down and people started to read them. And I realized, oh, oh, this isn't just me. You know, motherhood is this really complex transformation that we go through. And we have a lot of work to do. Um, you know, it's physical, but it's also emotional. Um, and I think that as I realized all of, and I'm continuing to realize all of the layers of issues um, that exist, and also the potential for, you know, if we were to really nurture mothers, um, you know, every study that's out there, you know, says that when mothers thrive, their children thrive, right? Um, and so by addressing the concerns that mothers face, not only are we going to help them, but we're going to help future generations. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's how the torch got lit. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, we started our conversation looking at these systemic issues here yeah. in the United States, how we don't nurture moms. What do you think, I mean, I have my own things I might nominate, but what do you think's underneath that? Meaning, what is it that we've bought into instead of something pretty obvious, like let's honor the mothers in yeah. our culture? Uh, sexism, I think, would be a big one. Um, sort of this idea of like, I don't know if I'm using the word correctly, but this archetype of the mother, you know, who's who's supposed to be this like giving vessel of love and nurturing and everything where she just kind of pours from herself and doesn't ever need to be uh, replenished. Um, and it's, I guess it's flattering in a way <laughs> that people think that we can do that, uh, but it's obviously not very, very realistic. Um, yeah. And I think sexism, I think this idea that, you know, that your job as a woman is to, take care of other people way more than it is to, to take care of yourself. And I think that is why we have these, you know, the guilt that comes up, you know, the guilt for, um, for taking a shower or for going on a vacation by yourself or for going back to work because your work fulfills you um, or not going back to work outside the home because that is the right choice for you. Um, you know, all of these sort of concepts that are, making women feel like they can't trust themselves. You know, you can't trust yourself in terms of how you take care of your baby. You can't trust that you're going to make the right decisions for your family. Um, and I think, you know, all of these societal messages have sort of built up in us. Um, and then we go through this huge transformation into motherhood and suddenly we're like, oh, I'm not good enough. Um, and it's pretty devastating. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, interestingly, the motherly brand of which you're the digital education director talks about being a lifestyle brand that redefines motherhood. Yeah. And I was very interested in this uh, notion of redefining motherhood. And you've just explained some of the things that you don't think it is, you know, this well of unlimited resources that can just give, give, give. How do you want to define motherhood today? I think that motherhood today is defined individually by the mother, by the parent. Um, and I think that that is one of the big 
foundational changes that we're seeing. That my hope is that there will no longer be this idea of the good mother or, you know, oh, I was a bad mom today or I was a good mom today. No, you were just a mom today. And tomorrow you're going to be a mom. And in a year you're going to be a mom so that we are allowed to define what motherhood means for ourselves, whether that means becoming a mother or not becoming a mother, whether it means working outside the home or not working outside the home. I mean, there are a thousand different decisions that we make in terms of this journey. And we are allowed to make those decisions based on the truths that we know of ourselves and our children and our families, not based on what other people have told us those decisions should be. Mm -hmm. Okay, so someone's listening and they're thinking to themselves, I wanna be part of the solution of honoring and nurturing moms in the world. I don't have children right now, but I know many people who do many people who are new moms or et cetera. What can I do to help shift and help them feel nurtured and honored? Yeah, I love that you're asking this. Honestly, my answer to this question sounds so obvious and I keep trying to come up with a better answer and I can't. (laughs) And it's just, number one, help mothers feel important. I think that part of, you know, when we look at the climbing um, morbidity and mortality rates, it's hard to feel important in a society where that number is going up and not down. Um, It's hard to feel important when, you know, we don't have paid leave. So think about how can I help this mother that I know understand that I think she's important. And that could be a really, really small thing. You know, that could be a a phone call just as you're going to sleep at night to let her know, say, hey, I think that you're important and I think you're doing a really good job. Or maybe it's bringing her a meal, Um, you know, or it's writing to your politicians or, you know, advocacy on whatever level feels appropriate to you. Um, But ultimately creating more of a cocoon of social support around her Because once she feels important to her little village, to the, you know, the people that are around her, that's going to grow and grow and grow. And she will realize that she is actually important to the entire society. Mm -hmm. Now, you've mentioned a couple of times, Diana, the climbing morbidity rate for new moms. Can you help me understand what's driving that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, a big part of that is uh, is racism. Um, black women in the United States are three to four times more likely to die from pregnancy, birth, and postpartum challenges. Um, and every you know study that's being done right now is finding that racism is at the cause of that. Um, and you know, as we know, with everything that's going on in the world right now, racism is a huge issue that our country is trying to face. So that's a big part. Um, a lot of the studies are finding, for example, that it takes doctors longer to respond to reported symptoms when those symptoms are being reported by a woman of color. Um, so, you know, often we hear horrible stories about how, you know, doctors and midwives and nurses don't listen until it's too late. Um, so one of the foundational changes that needs to happen is um, is addressing sort of this institutional racism that exists in the healthcare system. 
Um, part, you know, there's, there's a lot of different factors. I think part of it is access, and this is for all women, um, access to prenatal care, um, you know, having visits that are longer than 15 minutes so that you can get to the, to the real issues. Um, there are environmental concerns. Um, there are, um, you know, postpartum concerns. We, uh, right now, most people, and this is changing, but most people don't have their first postpartum visit until uh, six weeks after they, they give birth. Um, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists is trying to change this, which is great, but it's still an issue because they're all, you know, normally it goes well, but when something is wrong, you need to get in and see your provider and that can be hard to do in the beginning. Um, so those are just a, a few of the, what I think to be the the causes of the problem. Mm -hmm. Now, I asked you for this person who knows a mom and wants to help what, yeah. this, what they could do. And really the theme here is let's honor moms. Let's honor moms. What if we nurtured moms uh, as a culture? What would that be like? What if, as we said, we're asking mothers to nurture in a society that doesn't nurture them back? What if we nurtured them back? Okay. Our engineer here for our conversation today is a, a gentleman whose uh, wife uh, had a baby three months ago. They had a baby three months ago. Congratulations. <laughs> for a, a father or really for anybody who is the partner to a woman who has given birth to a baby, what can they do? What's their responsibility? What yeah. needs to change? Um, I think number one is they also need to feel empowered to take care of themselves. You know, this is, you know, I'm a midwife, so I'm focused on moms, but um, dads and all partners, regardless of if you had a baby, um, you know, if the baby came out of you, um, are, are working incredibly hard. So number one is taking care of yourself. Um, number two is... I kind of want to say the word allowing, you know, it's giving space and allowing for her to go through whatever it is she needs to go through. Um, there is a theory, there's a TED talk about it, and I'm, her name is escaping me, I apologize, um, Dr. Alexandra Sachs. And she talks about matrescence. It's this sort of process that our body goes through as we become mothers. And it's almost like a second puberty. Um, and so with that come hormonal changes and emotional, you know, um, waves and certainly the physical things that are going on. Um, and part of, I think the issue is we are as a society asking moms to like push back on that. No, 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 no. You, you don't cry. You're a mother. Motherhood is magical. You love being a mother. It's a gift. You're happy as opposed to allowing space for her to have a really bad day and kind of not like motherhood for a little bit. That's okay. Um, allowing her body to do what it needs to do to heal as opposed to sort of forcing this, you know, bounce back, you got to lose the baby weight, you know, all of this. So, um, you know, again, just kind of giving your partner the space to go through this change as you need to. I think the other big piece is looking at mental health. Statistics vary, but you know, as many as one out of five women will have some kind of postpartum um, 
mental health concern, be it postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, um, or you know, postpartum mania. There are others as well. Um, and when partners can be accepting and honest as those changes uh, come through, that can be, I mean, it can be life-saving, you know, it can be, um, it can be incredibly helpful. Um, so having lots of conversations, and I think this goes for, you know, partners and also, you know, friends and family members is, um, and it's an awkward conversation, I know, but, you know, saying to, saying to a new mother, like, hey, you, are you okay? You know, encouraging mothers to seek mental health care when they need it or even if they don't think they need it before they need it. Um, because when you have, again, like your sort of small village supporting you and telling you that it's okay to, to call a therapist, you know, that can be incredibly powerful as well. Now you, you mentioned Diana, that underneath not honoring moms as a society, one big factor is just plain old sexism. And what I'm curious about is when it comes to parenting equality, uh, whether it's a same-sex couple or it's a heterosexual couple, where do you see the big ahas need to happen for couples? I think it comes down to communication. I think that everyone, I really like to think that people in partnerships come in with the best intentions and we just kind of fall into our patterns, right? Um, and we don't necessarily realize that the patterns aren't necessarily as helpful <laughs> as they could be. So I think that having lots of conversations, um, this was about, I was right in the middle of, of writing the book and I was, you know, working all the time writing the book and my husband was working part-time, but somehow I was still the person who was both dropping the kids off at school and picking them up and doing the thing. And I didn't, it never even occurred to me to say something, even though, you know, I was writing a book and I would write for like an hour and then I'd have to run to pick up and da, 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 da. And my husband is great. And finally, I mean, months in, I was like, hey, do you think that we could change how this is working? And he was like, oh my God, yeah, of course. <laughs> so having lots of conversations about this was really easy for me today and this was really hard for me today can be helpful because I think, again, the partners are well-intentioned but may not even realize where they could be supporting each other better. Um, and also acknowledging that that's going to change, right? There are times, you know, when I was writing the book, I was writing all the time. And so my husband was kind of like the, the main parenting dude, right? And then the book was done. And so, and then he had a lot more work. And so then I was kind of the main parenting dude. Um, and so having those conversations so that you can make sure that you're distributing the work evenly. Um, and sort of what I was saying is, is assuming good intention. You know, I think that sometimes we think like, well, how come, how come she didn't know that, you know, I had this, these deadlines and she always this and she always that. Well, maybe she really didn't know, or maybe she's also really going through something. So assume good intentions and, and lots of conversation would be where to start. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe it's obvious to you and the listeners at this point, I think it is that I've never had children. I don't have a personal experience in this regard. 
But I have uh, run a business for 35 plus years. Yeah. And as a business person, listening to you and watching your TED Talk, I started asking some hard questions mm. about what my responsibility is as an employer to the many new mothers and fathers at Sounds True. And quite honestly, I think Sounds True has reflected industry standard norms for benefits. I think our benefits are competitive and et cetera, but they're not unusual. Mm -hmm. And I started asking some tough questions mm -hmm. like, should we be doing more? And so I'm curious uh, for a moment, if you speak to the business humans out there, yeah, what you recommend, what lens should we be looking through? Yeah, no, I, lo I love, I love that you're asking that question. And honestly, I think that if more people even started asking that question, I think that that's a huge start. I think that having that sort of introspection and that um, self-assessment um, is really important and is absolutely like the first and second and third step. Um, and I also acknowledge that it's really different for, for all different businesses. You know, um, in addition to Motherly, I own a very small business um, that is a tiny, tiny business. And like I, if I had employees, which I don't, I couldn't afford to pay anybody for, you know, so I acknowledge that it's, it's much easier said than done. Um, I think one of the things that I've seen work really well when it's possible is to have lots of communication again with the employees. Um, a lot of the moms that I work with and speak with are like terrified, I guess is the word to describe it, to talk to human resources or their boss, or if they are a boss, to talk to their employees about time that they want to take off. People are really nervous to announce their pregnancies at work. So I think a big part of it is creating a culture where that's not the case, where people know that their all of their life happenings, pregnancy, moving, whatever it is, will be celebrated and will be, um, you know, welcomed in the workplace. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, and I think also acknowledging and, and part of, you know, living through this pandemic has, has forced this issue, but acknowledging that people can be workers and parents and they don't have to hide those two sort of parts of their life from each other. I think that there's this sort of culture in, um, I, I would imagine this not to, from everything that I know about sounds true. My, my sense is this is not the case, but at a lot of companies where, you know, you go to work and you don't, it's kind of frowned upon to leave early to go to your kid's play or your take the kid to the doctor appointment or whatever. Um, and likewise, when you're a parent, you know, it would be frowned upon to, not be able to go to your kids play because you have a big presentation that day or something. Um, and one of the, like, the things that the pandemic is forcing is that people are having these important zoom calls with kids like running around <laughs> in the background. And I think that's so healthy. So creating flexibility where it's feasible, and this is going to be different for every type of business, um, but creating flexibility in the workplace where possible. So saying to people like, hey, you know what, we don't have a ton of extra money, but why don't you take an extra week 
of paid parental leave. And again, you know, in the grand scheme of things, is an extra week or an extra couple of days going to make a huge difference on her health? And no, but it comes back to feeling important. So feeling like, wow, my boss is doing everything that they possibly can to make sure that I feel valued and that I feel important. And I think that is a huge step um, and will go a long way. And is your view that paternity leave and maternity leave should be looked at the same or differently? It It is. It is. I think, you know, every family is different and has unique needs, right? And so um, to say that, you know, only the person who gives birth gets to take a certain amount of time off, um, you know, historically, that's what's been done. But we know that families look very unique from each other. Um, And so, you know, I like their countries where they will say, like, you have X number of weeks to use as a family, use them as you will. Um, And so, you know, parents can choose to, you know, if if there are two parents, they can choose to take the time off together, or one can take some time off, and then the other can take some time off, or maybe you can, I don't know if you can do this, but like, maybe we're going to take some time off, then go back to work, then take some more time off, you know, again, incorporating um, the possibility for flexibility, so that families can, um, can make it work for them. Because I think, ultimately, when families can strive for balance, right? The never ending quest for balance, you're going to be a better employee. You're going to, you're going to be loyal to that company that gave you an extra two days of maternity leave because you felt important to them. Um, And I think ultimately that will start to fix the, the workplace issue. Have you ever jumped into a mountain lake or taken a plunge into cold water? Maybe you noticed a change, a feeling of invigoration, suddenly perhaps even feeling more in love with life, maybe even sensed feeling healthier. You may not be aware that there's a method created by a Dutch phenomenon, Wim Hof, known as the Iceman, who gained world acclaim for feats like running a half marathon in the Arctic Circle, barefoot. Here it sounds true. Our staff has been experimenting with the Wim Hof method, and we found pretty remarkable results. We'd love to share the method with you. You can find out more about Wim Hof and his method at findyourcold.com. One of the things I read in one of your, I think it was in one of your blog posts, and first of all, you're a great blogger. Those are so well written. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, really. You have a real gift. Thank you. What I uh, remember reading is that you mentioned that moms actually make uh, stellar, better, you used a statistic, and I can't remember what the statistic is, that moms are actually exceptional performers in the workplace. And this got my attention because I was suddenly, you know, as an employer doing the calculations of, you know, okay, we're going to have these great benefits. More and more people are going to come to Sounds True. It's going to, you know, so I was doing this math in my head while I was reading your blogs. And then I was also, I read, oh, but they're exceptional performance 
uh, performers. That's phenomenal. So what is the research behind that? Yeah. So the research is finding that mothers are as productive, if not more productive than their coworkers who are not mothers. Um, you know, there's, there's a little bit, there's like charts where there is a little bit of a dip, I guess, in productivity right after the child comes into their lives. Um, but ultimately over the span of, you know, the child's life, mothers are, uh, are more productive. And this, um, I think, is counter to what a lot of people assume. Um, you know, lots of lots of studies have found that um, if you look at two resumes and you compare one where the person, the, you know, the resumes are exactly the same, but one of them indicates that she's a mother and one of them doesn't, uh, the the person who is not a mother is going to get the job, and the person who is is not, because people assume that the mother is not going to be as productive. Um, you know, I think there are changes that happen. There are definitely changes that happen to the brain um, when you become a mother. So I wonder if that's part of it. I also think that, um, you know, you, you kind of have to be really productive <laughs> when you're a mom because you learn how to get a lot of stuff done in a little pocket of time. Um so I think I think that that's part of it. Um, you know, we have to do more research into the area to figure out exactly what it is. Um, but I love that that you're thinking thinking about that. <laughs> that sounds true. Now let's just talk about you for a moment okay. as a highly productive human being <laughs> who's also the mother of three young children and just you know finished writing a 500 plus <laughs> page book with a ton of information and research, et cetera, along with, you know, continuing your job as the digital education director at Motherly. Like, let's talk about you. How did you manage to do all that? I need to do a better job of listening to my own advice is number one. <laughs> That's part of it. Um, I, I think that there is probably, uh, or I know that there is, there's a part of me that, um, you know, writing about this and talking about this, I think, is therapeutic for me as well, because I, you know, struggle as well with the, but you, you didn't do enough today. But but are you sure you should be taking a nap? Are you sure you should be going to bed right now? You know, all, all of that. So part of talking about this is for me. Um, and I think also, you know, it's, it's, it's just what I'm passionate about. So, you know, there, there were times where, you know, in writing the book and the writing that I do now, um, you know, I just can't sleep. You know, I just have to come and write. So the writing is often done at like odd, impractical hours, um, you know, but it, it um, it's very heart-centered work for me. It's very, um, I would say, emotional work for me. Um, you know, writing the book, I always tell people that I was prepared for how much time it would take. I knew it would be like a lot of work. I was not prepared for how emotional the process would be. When I started writing, I I wrote, you know, very sort of mechanically almost. And I remember the the team at Sounds True came to me and they were like, so this doesn't really sound true. <laughs> this doesn't really sound like you, you know, you where you can bring your voice into this. And then it just sort of, once I had that permission, it just sort of flowed. Um, so part of it is, you know, 
giving myself permission to be me and, you know, to let the writing be emotional when it needs to be emotional. Um, you know, it doesn't always have to feel like a science book. Um, so that helped the times where I just sort of let myself go were the times where I was the most productive. Um, and the times where I forced myself into a box, I was not very good at all <laughs> at writing a book. Mm -hmm. Now, let's talk a little bit about specifically the motherly guide to becoming mama. And, you know, this book redefines pregnancy, birth, and the postpartum journey all the way through. Why did you and the motherly team feel that this book was needed and that this book was needed now? What wasn't existing out there on the bookshelves that you wanted to make sure you covered in this book? Yeah, there are tons of great pregnancy books out there. Um, and I have learned a lot from all of them. I think one of the things that I have found and we have found at Motherly in general is that so much of the experience is about the baby. Here's how to be pregnant in order to, you know, have a healthy baby. Here's what to eat. Here's the tests that you need. Here's how to raise the baby. There, um, there wasn't anything that we could find that was mother centered, that was woman centered, um, that looked at the holistic journey of pregnancy. It is so much more than something that happens in your uterus. Pregnancy is about your mind and your heart and your finances and your career and your hobbies and your friends and your relationships. It's, it's everything. Um, and we wanted to create a book that gave equal weight to all of those experiences. Um, something that, you know, said like, gave people permission to want to make changes to their career or not, and gave people permission to be excited about being pregnant and to also be really scared about being pregnant. Something that really addressed the, again, the holistic experience of it. Um, and so we sort of kept saying like, gosh, I wish there's like a book, there shouldn't be a book about this. And then there was just one moment where we all kind of looked at each other and said, oh, maybe we should write that book. <laughs> and here we are. Mm -hmm. Now, I wanted to talk to you about something that got my attention from your blog writing, which is a post that you wrote about toxic positivity mm. and how toxic positivity is rampant in motherhood. Yeah. So what, what is toxic positivity? So uh, this is my interpretation. I am not a therapist, but uh, toxic positivity is this idea that, you know, on the spectrum of emotions that the good ones, the positive ones are welcome and worthy and the negative emotions are not. Um, and we see this in a lot of ways in our society. Um, you know, I realized in writing that article, how many expressions we have for telling someone to cheer up, you know, it's like cheer up, chin up, buck up, you know, good vibes only all of, all of these expressions. Um, we, but that can be pretty dangerous. Um, and it gets toxic when we start to, tell people that, you know, again, only the positive emotions are welcome. Because first of all, that's not reality. You know, in any given day, a human being is going to have all of the emotions 
especially right now during the pandemic, you wake up and you're like, no, things are okay. Yeah, things are going to be pretty good. And then you check the news and your emotions go plummeting or, you know, you get a phone call from a friend who's having a hard time and, and things go plummeting. And so first of all, toxic positivity um, is not realistic. Um, and I think that it's also damaging, you know, it's damaging to tell people that they can't sort of be in the the muck, you know, that they have to sweep all the negative stuff under the rugs. Um, and we see this a lot in, um, in pregnancy and birth and motherhood. Um, an example of this is um, is traumatic birth. You know, when when somebody has a birth experience and they feel really bad about how their birth went, and so often in our culture we say, "Well, you and the baby are healthy. That's the most important thing." It yes, it agreed. It is the most important thing, but it's not the only thing. You know, so giving people space to grieve to just kind of be in a bad mood for a little while um, is really important. And, you know, when it comes to motherhood, um, again, like motherhood has just been put on this pedestal, you know, oh, it's magical. It's amazing. It's the best thing ever. And, you know, it's amazing and it's magical. I don't know if it's the best thing ever. It's, it's wonderful, but it's also really hard. Um, and it's really important not to shame mothers or anybody for having those bad feelings. Um, because when we shame them, you know, we, we make it feel like, like they have to hide that part of themselves, which is definitely not healthy um, emotionally. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've heard lots of mothers express their uh, disgruntlement, if you will, or the difficulties they're having uh, with being a mom through a lot of sarcasm, but often not in just a vulnerable yes. way that this is just okay and, you know, I'm having a bad day, et cetera. But it comes out in like, you know, dark humor instead. Yes. Uh, you have a, a threefold solution for toxic positivity. Uh, you say step one, welcome the negative. Two, increase our empathy. And then three, embrace the phrase, yes, and. And I wonder if you could take us through all three of those steps. Absolutely. Um, so, and thank you for reminding me because <laughs> it's been a minute since I wrote that. But yeah, the first one, um, you know, welcoming the negative. I think it's it's acknowledging that the spectrum of emotions and acknowledging that um, that the shadows are just as real as the light you know, and the bad moods are just as important as the good moods. And, you know, certainly there is a fine line between being in a bad mood and, you know, being depressed. And so if someone is concerned about the level of, um, you know, sort of negativity that they feel in their life. Certainly, you know, reaching out for mental health support is incredibly important, but also acknowledging that like, it's okay to not like stuff. It's okay to vent. It doesn't mean that you hate motherhood. It just means that right now is really hard. The second one is, um, is increasing our empathy, understanding that everyone's story is different. You know, uh, we see a lot of sort of this forced toxic positivity on social media where people will say things like, oh, why are you complaining? Your life is so perfect. Look at you. Well, maybe, 
Or maybe there's some stuff that's not being shown on social media that's not quite so perfect. Um, another aspect of toxic positivity that I bring up in that article is um, is racism. You know, by saying things like, "Well, no, no, I, I've never seen, I've never seen racism. I, I don't think that it really exists." Well, maybe you've never seen racism, but racism is a very real experience for many, many people. And so when we expand our empathy, we start to understand that other people are having experiences that we aren't having. And those experiences are just as real as ours. Um, And the third is embracing the phrase, yes, and. So, you know, I think that our, our human brains like things to be very neat and organized. You know, this is good and this is bad. Um, But life isn't like that, you know, so you can think that most people in the world are good and acknowledge that institutional racism is a really big problem. You can love motherhood and really look forward to bedtime so you can get a break. You can love your job and be really excited that it's the weekend. Um, And those things don't necessarily cancel each other out. So giving each other and giving ourselves permission to experience the duality of life, um, I think will help with toxic positivity. Mm -hmm. I think that's very, very helpful. I think a lot of times people think, I know being grateful works, so I'll focus on the gratitude, which is true. Yes, It does. It opens your heart and et cetera. But with your yes and... It's like, I can be grateful and I can be disappointed about X, Y, Z or struggle. Exactly. You share uh, your own, one of your personal parenting mantras that I just loved. You're not doing it wrong. (laughs) It's just that hard. How did you come up with that mantra? I am going to be honest and say that a, another mom said it to me. Um, I was uh, leaving a parenting class with, uh, at this point, I had two kids, a toddler in one hand. No, 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 I had three. I had a toddler in one hand, a four-year-old somewhere, and a newborn, (laughs) I don't even know, a newborn in a car seat. And the toddler took off and went running into the parking lot. And I grabbed him just in time, but I fell down on my knees. And by the way, scraping your knees as an adult is incredibly painful. I did not remember that as a child. So I scraped my knees. I dropped the kids. I'm I, And I just started crying. And this sweet mom came up to me and she just said, hey, you're not doing it wrong. It's just that hard. And it was like this lightning bolt moment for me. And it's become my mantra. Because I think that Again, going back to sort of the, the foundational issues that we started our conversation with, we have this idea that we are not parenting correctly, that we are doing something wrong. And oftentimes, you're not. <laughs> oftentimes, it's just really hard. And I think that that applies to parenthood, but it applies to so much else. You know, during the pandemic, it's come up over and over again. Oh gosh, well, I should do this. I should do this. Why don't I have, why don't I feel grateful? Why don't I, you know, all, you're not doing it wrong. It's just that hard. There is no perfect answer. There is no perfect choice there. It's just hard. Um, And I take a lot of solace in that and reminding myself that like, no, you're not failing. 
you're dealing with something that's really hard and you're doing the best job that you can as you make your way through this. Mm -hmm. Now, previously in our conversation, when you were talking about your own small business, you shared with us, it's a very small business that you founded. And one of the things I thought was so interesting is that your business is called Gathered Birth. And I thought to myself, what an interesting title. <laughs> Can you explain that? Gathered yeah. Birth. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I think as with a lot of stuff, I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it and then went to sleep and like woke up two hours later and was like, oh, this is what it has to be called. Um, part of it has to do with the, the village aspect um, and sort of gathering around um, pregnant and new parents. And I think that part of it is also that we go into all experiences in life, but, you know, in my case, birth and, and motherhood and beyond gathering bits and pieces of information, you know, so you've, you've gathered, you know, what you've learned possibly from your family and what you've learned from your friends and what you've seen on TV and in the media. And, you know, we come to our birth with all of these different things that we have gathered. And then we take all of that and we have this very intense, personal, intimate experience. Um, and so the idea of welcoming all of those aspects um, and again, gathering around each other as we cross this threshold uh, into motherhood. Um, I don't know, just felt, felt like a moment to be celebrated. Mm -hmm. Now, a, a couple times in our conversation, you've referenced other cultures and I know that you have your bachelor's degree in anthropology yes. and also throughout the motherly guide to becoming mama, you've sprinkled some teachings from other cultures that perhaps will be helpful to people. And I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners, maybe just a couple of lessons from other cultures that you've been able to incorporate into your own becoming mama life? Mm, I think that one of the most empowering things that I've learned is how other cultures take care of new mothers. So, you know, in, um, in Mexico, it's called La Cuarantina. And, you know, there's lots of different names for it, but there's these periods of time where, you know, I keep using the word cocoon, but mothers are cocooned um, and they get, you know, special treatment and special massages and they don't have to cook or the mother-in-law comes and lives with you for a month so that you don't have to do anything, but take care of yourself. Um, and so, it's really shed a light for me on how we can do a better job and sort of reveling and marveling in, in this sort of period of taking care of ourselves. Um, so that, that I think has been maybe the biggest, the biggest one for me is how can we emulate the ideas of making that period of time a little bit more sacred. You know, how can we create rituals, woman-centered, mother-centered, parent-centered rituals that again, help parents to understand how important they are um, as opposed to, you know, our culture, which is very like productivity centered, you know, like, great, the kid is out, when can you come back to work? Um, as opposed to like, no, this is a sacred period of time 
where uh, we're not going to bother you because you have a lot going on. So that's been important for me as a mother. Um, and I think also not not just in that postpartum period. You know, there are seasons of life and there are times when I think it's okay to have, you know, another little moment of sort of hibernation. You know, you're going through something big. You're in the middle of a pandemic. You've just written a book and you're really tired. <laughs> you know, all of these big things that we go through in life. It's okay to have periods of time where you're really productive and periods of time where you're, I would say, productively resting and you are going easy on yourself. Um, and that both, yes, and, you know, both of those experiences are equally important and valuable. Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting that the final segment of the Motherly Guide to Becoming Mama is all about what you're referring to as the fourth trimester. Yeah. And it seems that using that language, the language of the fourth trimester, which I've you know heard in the last few years being referenced in different ways, that really changes how we view it. It changes, mm. I, I think. So I'm curious what your view Absolutely. of that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it changes it for the mother. It also changes it for the baby. Um, you know, I think we have like expectations of the baby that, you know, baby's going to sleep through the night and baby's going to, you know, do all these things. The baby's very much still cooking and, grow and growing. Um, and so it helps us to remember um, to, to give the baby some grace and to let them just be little. Um, you know, and we, we do a good job or a moderate job, I would say, of taking care of pregnant women in this country. Um, and they're sort of like, oh, well, she's in her second trimester. So don't upset her. Don't, well, why can't we continue that? after the baby comes. Um, but I think it's interesting, you know, that, that you're talking about the words, because I think the words that we use in obstetrics in general, um, in the whole field are not great. You know, we, we have a lot of terminologies that are, you know, sexist or scary or kind of violent. Um, so I, I love that you mentioned that because I think being really intentional with the words that we choose to describe all of these periods of time can have a really big impact on how we view the experience as a whole. Okay, just two final questions for you, Diana. The first one is you've talked about the challenges of mothering in the pandemic. And I'm sure yeah. there's a lot more to say about that. <laughs> but uh, part of what I'm curious about is something you write about, which is how the pandemic has lit up activism, your activism, the activism, yeah. I think, for a lot of people. What's, what's going on for you personally that this is what's happened? None of the issues that we are seeing right now, aside from this virus, are new. The racism, the lack of health insurance, the, you know, inequalities, the, the, in income, the, you know, the fact that our insurance is tied to our employment, you know, not, none of these issues are new. Um, the pandemic has just sort of shine, shone a light, lifted the rug, and now we can't really ignore them anymore. Um, and it's uncomfortable and it's hard and that doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so I think that this is, you know, I, I hesitate to use the word silver lining because this is a, this is a real tragedy for a lot of people. Um, but 
once we have, I think, as a society, really acknowledged these shortcomings, we cannot go back. There, you know, I, I don't know who said it, but maybe it was Brene Brown again, um, who said, you know, normal never was. But the, this this idea of going back to, quote, normal. No, no, I don't want normal anymore. I don't want to go back to all of these issues being ignored. We have seen front and center what these issues are, and they're getting worse. And now is the time to fix them because when, not if, but when there's another pandemic, hopefully a very long time from now, they're going to come up again. So we better fix them now. And then the final thing I'd love for you to comment on is uh, something you said in your TED Talk, which is that culture change is like birth. How is culture change like birth? And where are we, do you think, in the birthing process? Where are we here? We are in transition. <laughs> transition is the hardest part of birth. Transition is painful and you want to give up and it's it's hard. Um, but, you know, I think that when we look at change in general, um, it's the same way that we look at birth. It's this daunting, you know, seemingly impossible feat that we just can't even imagine how we are going to get through, but we do. So it's one contraction at a time. It's one hard, uncomfortable conversation at a time. It's one letter to a politician at a time. You know, it's one little step at a time and we'll get through it. And at the end, you get a baby or a new <laughs> and better society. I've been speaking with midwife, registered pediatric nurse, mother of three, and the digital education director at Motherly, Diana Spaulding. Diana Spaulding has written a new book with the Motherly team. It's called The Motherly Guide to Becoming Mama, Redefining the Pregnancy, Birth, and Postpartum Journey and it's a 500 plus page book that helps you prepare to be a mom. It takes you through a month by month pregnancy guide, then the stages of giving birth and a guide to the fourth trimester. And really it's a, a book for our time. It, I think, embraces so much of what we need now and of what we know now works for women. So Diana, thank you so much. I, I know you poured so much of your soul into the writing of that book. And as a reader, I can feel it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I will, um, you know, no matter what comes next for me, writing this book, you know, will will always be one of the, the greatest honors of my life. So I am um, I'm deeply grateful for the opportunity and for your team who, uh, who, who was my doula <laughs> through the entire experience. Um, so thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Insights at the Edge. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at soundstrue.com forward slash podcast. And if you're interested, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And also, if you feel inspired, head to iTunes and leave Insights at the Edge a review. I love getting your feedback, being in connection with you, and learning how we can continue to evolve and improve our program. Working together, I believe, 
we can create a kinder and wiser world. Soundstrue.com, waking up the world.